Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now stop right there. The day of Pentecost. The Hebrew is Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. Called the Feast of Weeks, it was literally 50 days after Passover. The Lord told the people in Leviticus 23 that they were to count the days from Passover to Shavuot. Count the days, man. You never do that. You count the days. You just look them forward. Counting the days to the next event in your life. Counting the days to the next big thing. Well, they were to count the days. And what's great about this is it helps us know exactly when the birth of the church took place. We know exactly when all of this happened. We know Jesus was around for 40 days, right? We know that Shavuot is 50 days. That means the birth of the church took place 10 days after Jesus ascended. He said, I want you to wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. And they didn't have to wait long. Just a week and a half. Just 10 days. Now, from a human perspective, 10 days can be a long time when you're really waiting for something that you anticipate. But Jesus just said, wait. He didn't tell them how long. It could have been five years. They didn't know. Ten days later, the church was born. Why on Shavuot? Why the Feast of Weeks? Shavuot was a celebration, is a celebration among the feasts of Israel. In the early spring, it was a celebration of thanksgiving for the winter wheat harvest. They would harvest that winter wheat. And it was a commemoration. They would make loaves of bread. Two loaves, actually. As a serious commemoration. Thank you, Lord, for the winter wheat. Praise you, Lord, for what you have done. A serious commemoration. A reminder of events surrounding the giving of the law at Mount Horeb. And you ask a a Jewish person today, they will tell you that that's very much a part of Shavuot. It's a remembering of the day or the timing of the giving of the law. Because along with the required sacrifices in Shavuot, the priests were asked by God to do something kind of weird. Keep your finger here and go back to Leviticus 23. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 23. I remember when we studied through Leviticus. It's been a while. The book scared me to death before we got into it. It's one of my favorite books in all of the scriptures. I have 66 favorite books, by the way. This is one of them. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 17, speaking again of Shavuot. Well, let's go to verse 15. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 15. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheep of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. Now watch this. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Look down at verse 20. So they bring these two loaves, and the priest shall then wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering with the two lambs before the Lord. They are to be holy to the Lord for the priest. Why two loaves? Two loaves? 
two tablets of the law. A picture, if you will, of the law. But maybe you noticed a little problem. The two loaves were baked with what? Leaven. You never did that. Ever. When things were made and given to God as holy, it was always unleavened. Leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. And so now we have these two sin-baked loaves? What's the deal with that? Think about what the people were doing the day Moses brought down the two tablets of the law from Mount Horeb. Worshipping an idol. Bowing before the golden calf. God in that day called the faithful to come to Moses' side. The Levites rushed to Moses' side, which ultimately is why they were given the priesthood that was supposed to be all Israel in the first place. They rushed to Moses' side. And Exodus 32 tells us, on that day, 3,000 Israelites died. Shavuot. And on this Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, the day the church was born, 3,000 were saved. Just a coincidence, really. (laughs) What's the point? Gang, the point is very simple. The law kills, the Spirit gives life. The law kills, the Spirit gives life. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.4, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter of the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. And on Shavuot, on the day the law was brought down, it killed But on this first day, as we will see later in the chapter, the Spirit gives life. 3,000 died, now 3,000 saved. And, And two loaves, which could easily represent Jew and Gentile, brought together in the church. Yeah, but Rick, if you make the comparison to the church, there's still leaven in the loaves. Uh huh. That's right. As with the church, there's leaven in the loaves. There's tares growing up among the wheat. Bad fish among the good fish in the dragnet. Birds in the branches. (laughs) Why? Why, Lord, do you allow this Christian brother, that Christian sister to hurt me? To do damaging things in your church? Why would you allow this to go on? I'm going to let the tares grow up with the wheat. There's going to be leaven in the loaf. The birds are going to nest in the branches and make messes of things. There will be bad fish in there. But Jesus says when He comes, He's going to sort it all out. And those who are faithful, filled with His Spirit, trusting and believing in Jesus, are going to go home. Those liars, those cheats, those thieves, those who seek to do nothing but harm, who are in the body, are in the church, and you have probably run across them. They're going to be dealt with. Why not deal with them right now? Because in ripping out the tares, Jesus says, you could rip out good wheat. 
You tear out this person, and there may be someone on the fringe, maybe they were kind of part of what was going on, but not really a part of it, but they were there, and you rip that person out, and they're gone too. And Jesus, listen, salvation is too precious to Jesus to risk it. So there's going to be leaven in the loaf. At least until He comes. Shavuot! Suddenly there came from heaven, verse 2, a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait, weren't they already filled with the Holy Spirit? Yeah. The indwelling presence of God was already there, but now they're filled. Now the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. One of the most exciting moments in the history of the church, right there. Amazing. And this this wind rushes in. It fills the whole house. What house? Was it a little house that they were all gathered in there? If so, you got to explain to me, how did they fit 3,000 people in there? How did that work? On our tours to Israel, the tour guide... Oh, by the way, we're going to Israel this spring. Have I mentioned that? Okay, we still have room. And you know my heart on the matter. I want to take as many people as possible. If you're even considering going for the first time, going back, please come with us. It may be your last chance. We may not even get there, depending on how things go this year. But you're invited, and if you have any questions about it, you want to talk about it some more, please come and talk to me. I would love for you to go. But the tour guides love to take you to the upper room. We'll visit it. You know, we'll go there. I hate to, you know, burst anyone's bubble, but that upper room was not there. The upper room is about 30 feet below us underground in Jerusalem. The actual original, if you know, the upper room that they used at Passover. I'm not even convinced that's the room they were in. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not the room they were in on Shavuot, on Pentecost. But the tour guides love to take you there. They get really excited. They, they, they nudge you. Hey, you Christians, this is where it happened, right? This is where your thing took place. And I'm always like, no. <laughs> You should have seen the look on Roni's face last tour, Roni Winter, when I, when I said, I said, Roni, do we have to go to the upper room? You don't want to go to the upper room? I said, Roni, I don't really want to go to the upper room. He says, Rick? And I go, yes. <laughs> I'm not impressed. G. Campbell Morgan suggested that the so-called upper room may actually have been an upper chamber in the temple. An upper chamber. Why? Well, the Hebrew word for temple in the Old Testament is bayit. House. Just the house of God. The house of the Lord. They were in the house. And it parallels with the conclusion of Luke's volume 1. At the end of Luke, chapter 24, verse 53, he says they were continually in the temple praising God. And now a vast number of people come a-running I believe to the temple. There's this rushing noise, this sound that attracts people from everywhere. What is this rushing noise? The New American Standard Bible defines it as violent. Had to look that up. The word is biaos. This biaos wind. 
It can mean violent. What it really means is forceful, mighty. Think of the sound of a tornado. Or perhaps a, a heavy-duty windstorm on Whidbey Island. You know, you get the idea of just this rushing, moving, powerful, mighty wind comes rushing into this place where they were, and everybody's attracted to it and comes running to the spot. They're in the house of the Lord. The temple, I believe, of the Lord. And there were Jews. Don't worry, we're not going to leave those few verses alone. We'll come back. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. So, people who lived there, but of different dialects and of different locations, they're all living there at this point. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Let's be clear. They weren't hearing something in their minds. They were hearing audibly the Word of God being preached. But the Parthians were hearing it in Parthian. And the Medes were hearing it in Median. And the Elamites were hearing it in Elamitian, or whatever their language was. (laughs) And they're amazed. They say, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya, around Cyrene, visitors from Rome. So now visitors are rushing in as well from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, that is, non-Jewish folk who have become Jews. Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues. Note this, underline this, circle this, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. That's what they're hearing. This is always the ultimate purpose of any spiritual gift. In this, ta- in this case, tongues. The purpose of any spiritual gift is to magnify, to direct us to the mighty deeds of God. Not the impressive deeds of man. The mighty deeds of God, that's all they were hearing. That's what they were thinking about. That's what they're focused on. And by the way, what was the most recent mighty deed that I believe was spilling out of the mouths of the apostles here? It was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The most mighty thing to happen. In 500 years. The resurrection. And they're saying we are hearing of the mighty deeds of God. And so I'm convinced, though I cannot prove it, that they were speaking of the resurrection. They were talking about Jesus. But go back now. Listen again to verse 4. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. What about the tongues of fire? Verse 3 says there were tongues of fire, you know, dancing about on their heads. That must have been weird. No doubt. Hey, if you've read the Bible, you know God can do some weird stuff. (laughs) What about the tongues of fire? Well, the Greek word tongues there, both for tongues of fire and tongues that they were speaking, is glossi. The longer word is glossolalia, which is fun to say. Try saying that three times fast. (laughs) 
Glossi, which simply means tongue or language. So there were tongues of fire as they were speaking in different tongues, tongues that were not their own. And the implication is, I believe, the reason for the appearance of these tongues of fire is to make it absolutely unequivocally clear that the words spoken out of their mouths were by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the words being spoken were not of these men, but were of another. They were coming from a different source, not from the heart of man, but from the heart of God. And so the Lord provides not only for this mighty rushing wind, but the the tongues of fire to be seen. And they are speaking by the Holy Spirit as, as Luke writes, the Spirit was giving them utterance. Utterance. Apophagomai. It's not an easy word to say in the Greek. Apophagomai. Which literally means to speak out from. They were speaking out, which would be the word phagomai. But the word apo is added to it. Apo meaning from. They were speaking out from the Spirit. They were not speaking out from themselves. They spoke out from the Spirit. And this is the first biblical example of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Rick, I just I hear that and that's just not my tradition. I'm not comfortable with that phrase. Get comfortable. Because Jesus is the one who coined it. Jesus and John the Baptist. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3.11, As for me, says J the B, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Mightier than I? Yeah. The mighty deeds of God? He who is coming after is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire? Yeah. And we see it portrayed perfectly, literally. Oh, once again, Scripture fulfilled literally. And Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' words, not mine. So we're just going to use Jesus' words to describe this thing. What was taking place. Ten days from that promise... And it hits. It happens. Acts chapter 2, by the way, is also the first and last time that we will see tongues of fire accompany speaking in tongues. This is the only time we see it in Scripture. And again, I believe the Lord is making it absolutely clear this is something supernatural, something divine that He is doing. He wants us to get that down and understand the source of this spiritual power. You know, it's not what is seen that saves a person. It's what's heard. Which is why I believe the tongues of fire passed away, whereas the tongues did not. We still need to hear. We don't need to see. Jesus said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 2.7 John 20, 29, Jesus said, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. And you know Paul said, Romans 10, 9, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Actually, it's Romans 10, 17, isn't it? 
Yeah. Check, cross that off. That's wrong with it. Romans 10.17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. By the way, what were the apostles doing when this happened? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, they have been praying, but at this point, they're just all together in this place. It doesn't say they're doing anything. Not in that moment. They had been praying and waiting for ten days, but at the moment, they were not in some kind of an emotional prayer circle. They weren't fervently whipped up in worship. They were just there. What's your point, Rick? There's nothing you can do to bring on the Holy Spirit other than to ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit. There's not a state of mind that you have to work yourself into to receive the Holy Spirit. Because this is not an emotional deal, this is a spiritual deal. And this is authentic, my friends. This is not something we generate. Uh, Chuck Smith um, was talking about this. And he said he grew up in a church that was Pentecostal and they used to have tarrying meetings. Tarrying meetings, where they would tarry. And as a kid, he said, I remember that we had to sit there and the idea was to become of one accord. If we could all become of one accord. This is before Honda came out. So, you know, if they could just... You know, get one mind among them. And he said, I remember as a kid trying so hard to be in one accord with all these other people. And he said, I grew up. And I studied the Scriptures and I realized... It's not what man does, it's what God does. It's not up to you, it's up to Him. And the Spirit gives utterance when the Spirit deems that it's time to give utterance. The Spirit moves when the Spirit wills. And the only thing you can do, and it's a big thing, Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask. So I don't have to like dance around a fire and chant? No. I don't have to be in some kind of... No, just just ask. Lord, Lord, I need Your Spirit. I, I, I want more of Your Spirit. Hold that thought. Okay, i got to hurry. Right. Verse 12, where are we? Chapter 2, verse 12. So they were... Hearing them speak in their own tongue, in, in every one of their tongues, speaking the mighty deeds of God. Verse 12, they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. Okay, the last days have officially begun. How do you know? Because Peter said, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking. And note what they do. Peter says, 2 Peter 3, verse 3, In the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. I bet the mockers, I can't prove this, but I bet, based on human nature, that the mockers who were saying they were full of sweet wine were heavy drinkers themselves. Because we have such a tendency to look for and try to point out what we think might be sin in someone else that happens to be what we personally deal with. Mocking at its root is turning attention away from what I'm doing. Trying to get the attention off of my sin. 
Why were they mocking? One reason. These guys were mocking because they were not listening. Everyone else is saying, we hear of the mighty works of God. Listen to what they're saying. This is awesome, amazing stuff. And these guys are like, they're drunk. Nah, they're drinking. You're not listening. People who mock never listen. Or they wouldn't be mocking. They hadn't heard a word the apostles had said. And the same kind of mocking happens today. People won't hear of the mighty deeds of Jesus. And take note of that. If someone's mocking, if someone's scoffing, they're not listening. Love them, pray for them, but move on. Don't waste your time. Because if they're mocking, they're not listening. Verse 14, But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what is spoken of through the prophet Joel. Now, I love Peter. And he's obviously a young preacher. Because the proof that he gives that they're not drunk is not, these men are not drunk as you would suppose. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. No, he says, it's only the third hour of the day. Now, if it was tonight, I I grant you, maybe we would be drunk. (laughs) What a fisherman. But he says, that's not the deal. That's not what's going on here. This is, verse 16, what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Paul would say, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, that's dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, that's dissipation. It dissipates, doesn't last. It just goes away. It's emptiness, it's vapid, it's vain, it's useless. Drinking. It's kind of a useless thing. You want peace and comfort and wisdom. You want to relax at the end of a long day? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So much better than a glass of wine or a beer. I'm just saying it is. And they were filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm going to stop there in our study for tonight. And I know we're over an hour, but i got to say something else to you. So just give me a minute. Or ten. That'll be okay too. As I said, this is the first and last time that tongues of fire accompany speaking in tongues. However, this is the first of many, many times we will hear about speaking in tongues in the book of Acts. It's just the first. Buckle up. Rick, what if this doesn't square with my tradition? Let me ask you a simple question. When did tradition become the measure of truth? I want to tell you honestly right up front, this did not square with my tradition. I grew up studying the book of Acts and the writings of Paul, but we did not believe. I was not taught that the Holy Spirit did anything but help you understand Scripture. That's it. That the work of the Spirit ceased with the last of the apostles. Done. Now you're on your own. I don't believe that anymore. Because tradition has fallen... A, to the Word of God. And B, to the work of God in my own heart. 
And I'm going to give you the Word of God as we go through Acts and as we continue on into the New Testament and we read what Paul taught. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. I can't wait to get there. We're going to, but I can't. I really can't. I don't, you know, honestly, I was going to go through all of 1 Corinthians 14 tonight and the only reason I didn't was the Spirit. Seriously, I prayed about it and God said, hold on, just be patient, one step at a time. Let's just stay right here. I said, Lord, can I just give a couple verses? Okay, so here are a couple verses. <laughs> but ask yourself this question, and I'm, I'm not trying to twist anyone's arm here to do anything other than what the Spirit of God tells you to do. But here's the question. Does my comfort zone or my tradition fence out the Spirit of God? you got to deal with that. 1 Corinthians 14.39, Paul said, Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. So why do so many churches forbid it today? Paul said don't. And he wasn't talking to the apostles. He was talking to the entire church at Corinth. Don't forbid this. He wrote it down. It was preserved by the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years for us still to read today. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 14.40, But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Okay, so I have no problem with that. If that's what God wants, if that's how His Spirit's going to work. Do not forbid, Paul says, speaking in tongues. Paul said, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. We're going to do that. I don't, I don't know where each of you are coming from when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I have, I have an idea. I have an idea where Les is coming from. And Donna. I know. No, I don't know what your traditions are, what your backgrounds are. A few of you, we've talked about these things, but for the most part, I don't know. How about we just learn together fresh and new? What do you say we just start and say, regardless of my tradition, regardless of my background or my denominational leanings, whatever, I'm just going to kind of set that down. I'm just going to say, Lord, teach me fresh. What does your word tell me? It's a very secure place from which to learn, isn't it? Let's just see what God's word says. Not what Pastor Rick says. We don't want Rick up there spinning it and flipping it and giving it all kinds of new meaning. Just, what does the Word say? Let's start there. And this is, again, as I said earlier, unavoidable if we're going to be doers of the Word. See, this is where we get down to brass tacks. There are several examples before us in the book of Acts. That was another thing I wanted to do was give you like 12 examples of how the Holy Spirit works and speaking in tongues and the moving of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and how this shows up over and over. And and the Lord said, no, no, you're studying through the book of Acts. Don't jump ahead. Okay. Can I do just one? He said, yes. So, turning your Bibles quickly to Acts 19. Acts 19. And truly, we're almost done, but you got to see this. Three... Questions along this line for you to consider tonight. Number one, here's an easy one. Do you, believers, do you know when you accepted Jesus as Lord? Show of hands. I know when I accepted Jesus as Lord. Okay, good. Lori Beth, do you? Okay, good. Just just checking. 
to make sure our director of women's has her hand up on that one. Kind of important. Do you know when you accepted Jesus as Lord? Most believers can answer that question absolutely. Should be able to answer that question absolutely. Yes, I know when I accepted Jesus as Lord. And if you're not sure, would you please come talk to me before we're done tonight? Before you go home? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, then there's another question I invite you to ponder. If you can say that for sure, how about this? Acts 19, verse 1. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, here's the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, they said to him, no. (laughs) We have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. I love their honesty. And he said, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming after him, that is, in Jesus. Well, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about twelve men. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, if you waffle on the answer to that question, why? If I can say absolutely, I know when I accepted Jesus as Lord, why can't I say just as absolutely, yes, I received the Holy Spirit when I believed? It goes hand in hand. That's why these guys were baptized. They got baptized, water baptized, I mean, they got immersed, dunked in water again. Why? To be baptized into Jesus and to receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then, Paul lays his hands on them. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. We see in this story in Acts 19, both happen. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the coming upon the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's your point? The three questions are this. Do you know when you accepted Jesus as Lord? Absolutely. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Yeah? Question number three. Have you been baptized from the Holy Spirit? Well, I... Listen. If you can't answer question number three with absolute assurance, you are not... Listen, you are not running on full power. I'm not saying you're less righteous than somebody else. I'm not saying you are less of a believer or less saved or less spiritual even. I'm saying you're running on less power. Well, how can you say that, Rick? Because I ran on less power for years. I was a half-power Christian for a long time. I could answer question number one, no problem. Question number two, absolutely. Question number three, That's not my tradition. That's not my denomination. That's not what we do. And I ran on half power. And I missed things. And I got grumpy about things. And I didn't say things that, looking back, I wish I had said. I wish I had utterance like the apostles did. I was running on half power. The Holy Spirit is the closer. He seals the deal. He strengthens the believer and, as we see with the apostles, He gives us utterance to declare the mighty works of God in Jesus Christ. 
There is nothing hocus-pocus, spooky, or strange about the Holy Spirit. Any more than there's anything hocus-pocus, spooky, or strange about the resurrection of Jesus that you believe in. You believe Jesus is Lord. Praise God. You've received the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Does this all still freak you out a little bit? Listen. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He doesn't say a heavy weight, a burden, stress, a worry. Oh no, if I get baptized with the Holy Spirit, then what? Liberty. Right? Freedom. Yeah, but then am I going to be like middle of worship, jumping up and down and rolling in the aisles? Well, they didn't in Acts chapter 2. They were not out of control of themselves. Oh, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Okay, I'll wait. I'll wait on that. They weren't out of control. Because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Okay, Lord, that's the only other one I'm going to share. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And listen to the context. Paul says, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We are going to see the Holy Spirit at work in the book of Acts. The question is, will we allow Him to be at work in the Bridge Christian Fellowship? I hope so. Let's pray. Lord, these are exciting times that we live in. Challenging. Some would say fearful. I would just say last days. Exciting times because we know we are on the brink of your next move. We know everything that has to have happened has happened on your prophetic calendar. We know that your coming is imminent. And my prayer, Father, is that we, as a fellowship, not just as individuals, but as a church body, that we would not function on half power anymore. I pray that we would be willing to step into the freedom, the liberty, the joy, the release, the refreshing, and yes, Lord, the power of Your Spirit. A power, Lord, that doesn't in any way, shape, or form, elevate us. In fact, Lord, just the opposite. We pray that we might remain humble before You. And that the more You pour out of Your Spirit, the more humbly we recognize that the only reason we can give utterance to the mighty works of God is because You are speaking through us. Father, I know I've got brothers and sisters who are functioning at half power. And it's exhausting. Would you lead us into the place where we are free to walk in the Spirit, to truly walk in the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit, aware of your indwelling, a people saved by Jesus Christ. Lord, you move in your time. I pray you will move among us tonight in Jesus' name.
Amen.